everybody, it's Cindy Donaldson, and welcome, welcome to another episode of Entrepreneur Masters. Today, you are going to be so stoked because I have Ashley Kern, data scientist and CEO, and Aaron Thompson, retention specialist and COO of Sightline Data. Um, I met Aaron, let, no, not Aaron, I met Ashley gosh, about a year ago when I was working on a project with higher education and we were connected on LinkedIn and I saw what she was doing. And I was like, oh my God, I have got to get inside this girl's brain because I am so not a data <laughs> geek and she is. And what she was doing is fascinating. So Ashley and Erin, welcome and thanks for hanging with me this morning. Thank so you, Cindy. Thanks for that. having thanks us. Thanks so much for having us. Um, so Ashley, give everybody kind of a quick lowdown about Sightline Data because, again, what you do just kind of blows my brain. Like, I, I can't even fathom how your brain works. It's like all these file cabinets inside. <laughs> so, at Sightline, we are data scientists and we've, you know, really narrowed down our scope to focusing on higher education. And it's such an interesting space to be in right now, especially. This week, <laughs> the past couple weeks, as schools are starting to reopen, we're starting to see uh, more results and information. Um, but how I started Sightline was uh, I was a data science consultant working in a lot of different industries on, on various projects and basically created my own kind of problem solving methodology and, and process. And, you know, what I, what I like to say and what Aaron says is, you know, data is data. Not not every uh, customer of ours likes to hear that because everybody everybody is unique. Every problem is unique, um, but it's a problem solving methodology, and um, we've created a handful of different products um, around this methodology to support higher education. So we help universities and community colleges to recruit the right students, um, enroll them. We help them optimize uh, how they're allocating scholarships to really support students. Um, Erin, our COO, is also our retention specialist, so she works on um, how to retain students as well. Um, and we have really been focusing on how can we evolve with higher education to really support them through such different, different times right now. It sure is. And before I hit the record button, um, we were talking a little bit about the pandemic and how it really has affected everybody. And I know I've seen at Red Barn, the clients who were able to pivot have just thrived through all of this. So Erin, tell me a little bit about how the pandemic has really affected what you're doing. I mean, obviously schools are just, you know, upended right now, especially, you know, higher ed. Kids aren't going back to campus. Some are, some aren't. It's hybrid. So mm -hmm. tell, tell me a little bit what you're seeing from that, from your perspective with higher ed. Mm -hmm. Right. So when the pandemic first hit, we immediately were in the mode of how can we best support our clients? How can we best, you know, just help higher ed get through this? So we started putting some thought leadership out there. We did some uh, webinars to help our clients and really you know, like how do we get through this immediate kind of reaction? Um, since this summer, you know, it, schools have been so just concerned about fall and what fall is going to look like. And we've been keeping a, a real uh, close pulse on, on, on that as well and watching the numbers evolve um, from, you know, most of them planning in person to kind of switching to a hybrid to, you know, now that that has shifted a lot. So um, we have pivoted to 
think of how how can we as a company support um, higher education moving forward and and ultimately our goal is student success so we've developed a couple new products um, over the summer and one of them is a COVID quantification so we really um, this this will help higher education look at what what would your enrollment have been before the pandemic what is it now you know, during the pandemic, and then we can help them strategize to move forward because we really believe, you know, to, to survive and thrive in this is really to, to make a plan, make a strategy for 2021. Um, and, you know, kind of, you know, just in, I, everyone's going to be in survival mode for the next semester or so. Uh, we, we believe that, but, you know, moving, looking past that and making a solid strategy on how we're going to move forward. Um, um, we feel is the best option for for institutions because you know your your enrollment plan from earlier this year in January and February that, that that needs to change probably. Yeah. So one of my favorite sayings by Tony Robbins is you know stop looking for resources and start being resourceful if you want to be. You know, Ooh, <laughs> I love that. Right? It's a good one. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, like that's what I'm seeing with all of my clients. And I feel like the um, as I talk to parents who have kids in college right now, the ones that you know, the parents that aren't really freaked out, and the kids that have are having a better transition. I feel like they did pivot and they just became resourceful. Like it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, Ashley, what are you seeing as far as, I know you're probably still in data collecting mode, but kind of what are you seeing about, um, you know, universities or colleges that are doing well? Like what's, what's the differentiator between the good ones and the ones that are still really struggling right now? So we're still so early that a lot of this is, is my kind of gut feeling and just my experience in the industry um, that I think a lot of the smaller rural universities are going to ride this out better than a lot of the kind of more established larger universities because they've already had the small class sizes. They're able to, uh, you know, implement social distancing so much easier. They've already had very close kind of one-on-one -on -one relationships with students and, and professors where professors will kind of notice if, if somebody's not transitioning very well or kind of having a hard time. Um, also in these remote areas, there's just, there are fewer cases. Um, so there's a, there's a leg up as well. What's interesting is a lot of these smaller rural schools were in the past and they may still be, but they've been considered to be at risk of closing down. Um, this might, give them a little bit of momentum where students want to go to more rural schools. Um, they're looking for something a little bit more tailored to them. So this might actually be an opportunity for those smaller schools. Um, you know, you're, you know, you're speaking towards what, what students are looking for and, and the ones that are prepared. And I found some really interesting survey results the other day. Um, so Ruffalo and Noel Levitt, they're uh, an enrollment consulting firm. And they put out a survey this past summer for students and families. And it was really surprising to me. This was primarily focused on financial aid. Um, but they found that 53% of families or students are expecting college costs to remain the same. 23% expect costs to go up. And 24% expect costs to go down. So to me, this is speaking towards 
kind of what, what families and students are expecting schools to be doing and to be kind of reacting to, to what's going on. Uh, so basically 75%, the way I'm interpreting this is 75% of these families view education in 2020 as having really the same value as it had in previous years. So that's really surprising to me considering the, the difficulties, the hurdles, the fact that a lot of this is online. Um, and I don't know if that just speaks towards people at the point that they took the survey, maybe they were prepared to handle this financially. I'm not sure, but that was really surprising to me. I never really thought of the whole, um, like small schools seeing this as an opportunity. Cause I mean, so that was a huge aha thing when you just said that, because I was like, oh my God, these small schools are already, uh, you know, one leg out the door. Um, that's kind of the, you know, when I was working with my clients on this, that's, those are the people we targeted because we were trying to help them increase enrollment through doing some other programs. Um, so that's quite interesting that you got that take. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Something that we're seeing is, is really interesting that, you know, during this pandemic, students might be less likely to want to go, you know, to the coast, like fly out to the coast to go to a big school, and they might want to stay uh, more closer to home. So, so that definition of, of lo- a local student might be changing for some of these more rural schools, like maybe some of the students who live maybe 100 miles away might be considering an option to, to go to that school rather than go to the big state school on the West Coast or the East Coast um, because of the pandemic and the, the concerns with travel and logistics and things like that. So that's something that we're definitely keeping a close eye on, but something that um, we're, we're thinking might be a trend. So, I mean, when I was, I am like one of those extreme extroverts. So my four years at the University of Connecticut were probably closer to Animal House than, you know, not. <laughs> God, there was no social media back then. But yes, we actually did have toga, uh, yoga, uh, toga parties and it was, it was crazy. So the, um, <laughs> my kids just like roll their eyes back when they, I tell my college stories. But I mean, I think about, you know, the, the social experience now at college, which, you know, when you go away to school, it, you know, yes, you're going for a great education, but for so many, it really is that social experience. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you, or, or maybe you're not, like, are you getting any, are you actually getting data on the students and how they are sort of reacting to this non-social thing? Or is that part of your plan? And how, how do colleges create that environment of that social interaction without social interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such a difficult, a difficult topic. And uh, I think it's going to be so important for schools to be surveying students, especially during the first couple of weeks as they're, they're adjusting. We'll be looking for those kind of, kind of results. Um, we don't have a plan of, of implementing that kind of survey ourselves because most universities have a, you know, a pretty decent system in place. Uh, to survey their own students at this point. Um, but what's what's interesting and, you know, what I'm seeing with preliminary numbers coming out from a lot of these major schools that have already opened up is, you know, even schools that have closed down their on-campus housing, that's not necessarily an advantage because students are still getting together off campus, which, you know, who can blame them? They're <laughs> 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Exactly. You know, kids and, have the kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, 
it, it's actually probably more difficult to kind of figure out the way the virus spreads in, in that kind of a system because you don't know who's going to whose house and doing what. Um, not that we want to get, track that level of detail. Um, but, but the point is that a lot of students are still in the area, even if they have online classes, a lot of them still live in that town or they already, you know, they want to go back. Um, so students are there and, and we're seeing with a lot of these major schools that it's still spreading in the community and specifically with their, with their students. So and I think, oh, sorry, go ahead, Erin. I think setting expectations and communication is so important for institutions, you know, like getting the messaging out to students, you know, this is what we expect of you. I know it's hard, um, but just kind of in a way that's on their level and just explaining like things are different right now, but like we're in this together. Um, you know, like we were talking about earlier before the podcast, um, I think there should be a uh, uh, focus on overall wellness as well, like Ashley was talking yeah. about, you know, managing your stress and anxiety, because a lot of this messaging is so stressful. And it's, you know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I personally can't watch the news too much anymore, because it's really stressful. Um, so a focus on overall wellness, and how can you reduce that stress and anxiety and, um, you know, in an appropriate way that you're, you're, you're not going to parties to reduce that stress and giving alternatives and that are safe. I think that's um, important. And I don't know that I've seen a lot of vacations like that coming out of schools yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I'm definitely far one hurdle. 58 than I was at, you know, 22, mm -hmm. <laughs> far healthier. Mm -hmm. so. Definitely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so also one hurdle that that schools need to be addressing is the fact that one thing that students turn to to reduce stress, and even if they, they weren't smokers before, a lot of students do pick up smoking when they're in college. You know, e-cigarettes are popular um, among college-age students right now. Um, I found, you know, I've really just been thinking about four specifically college-age students, so 18 to 25 generally, what are some of the risk factors that um, maybe would contribute to this age of the population having a more kind of severe reaction to to the virus. Um, so I've been looking into to research on that. There was a, a study from University of California, San Francisco, Benioff, I'm not sure how to say that, uh, Children's Hospital. And they were looking at, they had a sample of over 8,000 men and women ages 18 through 25. And they were quantifying overall uh, medical vulnerability. So it's, a, it's an index. And for this age group, smoking was the largest risk factor. So mm. this exceeded asthma, obesity, diabetes, um, even immune conditions. So having, um, you know, a poor immune system, smoking still outweighed that. Um, so if they looked at the non-smokers in that sample, they had a medical vulnerability of 16.1%. Once you added in smokers of that sample, then the medical vulnerability for the, for the entire sample of, of over 8,000 people, the medical vulnerability index went up to 31.5%. Hmm. So wow. double. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a yeah. really big one. Well, smoking is legal, right? Drinking is not. And like you said, kids are going to have vices. And I agree with you, Erin. I mean, the school's really need to come up with alternatives, right? Because kids will be kids. 
and it it is all part of that you know social interaction i mean i'm not saying go going back to the 70s and early 80s like when i was in college i, I i'm not saying that that was a good thing at all it was crazy and wild but you know <laughs> the, it is a really social thing and you know staying healthy college students are not healthy i mean just look at the way they eat. I mean, I'm a plant-based eater now. I run marathons. I mean, I never did any of that kind of stuff when I was in college. You know, you eat it really badly. You get no sleep. You drink. Mm -hmm. You smoke. You, you know, you just do all that bad stuff. So it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to see how the schools react to this and if they really take that part of it as serious as, like, making sure that kids are social distanced because the mm -hmm. healthy part is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Right. I mean, we're already seeing that at these schools that have, have already opened that the, the virus is spreading. Um, I think schools are doing everything they can to slow the spread as far as quarantining um, students who have symptoms, which, you know, that's non-negotiable. You have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so hopefully they're slowing the spread. But I think by addressing a lot of these health risks like smoking, not getting enough sleep. I know when I don't get enough sleep, I catch cold. Right. <laughs> um, you know, you have to get your vitamin D, get your fresh air, all that stuff. So you have to also promote health among, among your university so that when students do catch the virus, they have a much better chance of recovering quickly and not, not being hospitalized. Mm -hmm. So are you helping the colleges actually trace kind of like, you know, where the infections happened? Are you getting that deep into this data stuff or no? Like if, if there's a I think we are going to be, yeah, I think we're going to be on the end of, um, they've collected the data and we can help make sense of it, okay. um, especially, you know, planning for, for long term. There are a lot of systems out there mm -hmm. for kind of epidemiology and, and symptom tracking and, and testing, but we have been, you know, talking to different schools about what their, what their plans are for, for sampling. Um, for the virus. And, you know, of course, most schools are doing daily or at least weekly uh, symptom tracking. So you can do a kind of a survey of symptoms. Um, but we've found some kind of innovative solutions out there for uh, actually testing for if you've contracted the virus. At these larger schools, you know, they've got 16, 20, 30,000 students um, they want to test them all weekly, which is a lot of tests. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. Um, one school that we talked to, they've been really innovative with, um, it, they're kind of, they're pooling their samples. So if you have a spit test from every student, you can combine 10 of those spit tests, test, test that. So then you're really reducing the number of tests that you're, that you're doing. If one of those pools pops up as, as, um, having the the virus, then you would test those students individually as well. But that's one way of just really reducing the the cost um, and the volume of of tests that you have to go through. So that was a that was a really interesting one. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So I mean, you know, it seems like you're almost a little bit of a soothsayer, Ashley. I mean, you you've done so much of this with data, and you can kind of see trends. I mean. Do you think like this semester for higher ed is just going to be kind of uh, let's just figure it out and get through it and then maybe the spring will be better or do you think this year is just <laughs> going to be or maybe you don't know I don't know I'm just curious because I just love picking your brain but <laughs> oh gosh 
I, I definitely think universities have to hold on and, and, and tackle all these different areas. I feel really bad for uh, hired administration right now because a lot of them have to be uh, basically COVID police and it, it stinks. I hate that they have to do that. Um, I'm afraid that some students are going to fall through the cracks um, because, you know, traditionally they're at-risk students. Right. Um, so they're at risk of dropping out. Um, so I think predictive analytics is still very, very important, if not more important, um, mm. to to identify those students, whether universities go fully online or not. Um, yeah, hold on, hold on to right. that. <laughs> so I mean, Aaron, like as a retention special specialist, I mean, mm. you know, just following up on what Ashley just said, you know, trying to keep these students engaged and so they don't drop out because there's going to be more high risk. I mean, what are you telling university leadership to do right now to ensure that retention stays? Because it's going to be critical, mm -hmm. even for the state mm -hmm. universities, right? Because they're not getting mm -hmm. a lot of money from room and board right now. And that's where they make a lot of their money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So if the message is, you know, the students who were at risk before, um, hopefully the universities know this, um, you know, keep a pulse on them, keep communicating with them, let them know the resources. But that pool is expanding, you know, in this, these pandemic times, whether you go fully online or not, um, this is creating more stress on students. And there's going to be a larger pool of, of students who are at risk of, of not completing um, because of various different reasons. So um, I think, you know, looking at some of the, the risk factors, um, you know, and, and, figuring out who who those students are and getting them the support early before they start to have problems is really the key. Um, you know, that's kind of our specialty is is focusing on um, identifying these students who are at risk one to two semesters early um, so we can get them the resources that they they need so then they're before they even start to have problems because once they start missing class or, or getting bad grades sometimes that's too late so we identify those students earlier um, based on our models and and our experience in the industry um, so uh, we're, you know, we're seeing those pools expanding and getting, getting larger. They're not getting smaller, that's for sure. Um, so hopefully after the pandemic, they'll get back to, you know, quote unquote, normal size, you know, at risk populations. But for a while, it's going to be a lot of students are going to be struggling. So really, I think getting communication is so key um, and getting the right communications out um, in at, at the level where the students are at. So it's not scary to ask for help. And it's not um, taboo to, you know, to be seeking out extra tutoring or assistance. Um, I think that's super important. So let's, you know, talk to, about, ooh, so go ahead, Ashley. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add what, to what Aaron is saying that I think it's so important for universities to be really careful about the, the types of solutions that they're using. Uh, they need a solution that gets right to the answer and takes a lot of work off of their plates. Um, mm -hmm. So universities should not be spending time kind of filtering through spreadsheets of figuring out who to work with as far as intervening with at-risk students. They need somebody else to do that heavy lifting for them, um, take that off their plates, remove a little bit more stress. Um, same goes for figuring out basically new 
new ways to recruit students, you know, what specific types of students to recruit based on the way coronavirus has affected which students want to come to this school. Um, also figuring out what financially makes sense for students right now. There have been a lot of schools that mm-hmm. um, have looked at pretty significant tuition changes or changes in the way they structure financial aid, particularly for uh, Pell eligible students um, or other other demographics like that. So they need basically somebody else working in their corner uh, to do that heavy lifting and, and they can really focus on their students. Mm-hmm. Which kind That's of been a message that Oh, go ahead. That's been a message that we've been getting out to our clients. Like you have enough on your plate right now dealing with things that you never imagined that you would have to be dealing with. Like let us do the heavy lifting and uh, look at this, look at the data for you. So you're not kind of drowning in this data and you're not sure exactly what to do with it. Like let us do that and you can deal with the day to day, um, you know, pandemic crisis mode that you have been <laughs> thrust into that none of us wanted, but you know, we're all in. So uh, yeah, that's, we've been having lots of those conversations with our clients. Yeah. So um, what I wanted, this is a perfect segue into kind of your second product, which mm-hmm. is really focusing on, you know, the universities and their price points and so talk to us a little bit about that, Erin, you know, mm-hmm. like, where do you see that going? I mean, cause you know, the parents that I talk to are just like, you know, what do I do? Do I just send my kid to a community college? I mean, they're working from home. Like, mm-hmm. you know, do I keep them in this tiny private school? Like you just said, which now might have some benefits because they actually can go on mm-hmm. campus. So what do you, tell us about this new product? Cause I find this a little fascinating. Yeah. A lot fascinating. Yeah. So it's in development right now. We're really excited about it. It's a little bit different than our other products in that it's, it's a little bit more um, just kind of an instant, an instant kind of report on your, on the market fit. So uh, like it's a pricing product. So um, institutions can um, purchase this product and they'll see where they are at price-wise in, in comparison with their um, competitors. Um, so I think I really see this product uh, being helpful for, for institutions because I think price sensitivity is going to become even more of a thing. I think it's been a thing for a while. And I think that moving forward, just with the economy um, and everything, I think it's going to be even more of a concern with with families. So I think that, uh, you know, knowing where you're, you're at in the market is really important. And then we've been working with some clients on, you know, should, should, where, where's your ideal fit? Where's your sweet spot? Should you adjust that price? Should you, um, should you increase your price? Should you decrease your price? Are you, are you fine where you're at? So, uh, so I think, I, I know that a lot of schools have already been considering a price adjustment, but this, this could be an initial kind of check to see like a pulse to see where they're at because uh, not all schools have access to this data. They don't have in-house data scientists doing this for them. So um, this is kind of like a, a quick uh, check to, to see where they're at. And then, you know, we can absolutely uh, help, you know, further do a larger implementation if, if schools are, are looking to do that to see exactly, you know, what that sweet spot price would be. I mean, I have my marketing hat on I think on for now, quite right? a while. Oh, go ahead, Ashley. 
yeah, quite for quite a while, schools have been having discussions around um, tuition cuts or changes. Um, you know, some schools are thinking about being more aggressive. Others are are you know maybe being a little more conservative on that. And I think the the pandemic has basically propelled that conversation. And and universities are identifying the need to make some changes. Um, you know, I've seen examples of some, a lot of schools are at least they're canceling their tuition increases, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a good start. Um, but if I was a student and kind of a customer, I would, I would be like, that's it. That's all you're doing right now. <laughs> like I'm, I'm missing out on the lab that I, that I needed or that in-person, you know, whatever the class was that I needed. And, um, I want to see schools working hard to, to help their students. Mm-hmm. It's confusing because there's published price and there's actual price and it's it's really confusing for families to know how much that they would actually be paying and a lot of times they don't Mm -hmm. know this until they've applied and have received their financial aid package because it's not transparent it's not a transparent process sometimes um you know so hopefully that evolves. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. But but it is a very confusing world, um, especially if you're not, you know, if you're first generation student or you're, you know, you you just don't know about this stuff. It it looks, the published prices don't, don't match what you actually pay a lot of times. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parents don't know that oftentimes that price is negotiable, right? Like you can, I mean, I've spoken with, um, yes. back to like working with my clients. I never knew that. Like when my kids went to college, I'm like, damn, if I'd known that, you know, um, I would have encouraged, you know, my kids to negotiate it or do it myself. But mm-hmm. I kind of have my marketing hat on a little bit. Yes. You can go shopping. Yeah. Like people, people will always pay for what they deem valuable. 100%. If not, everybody would shop at Walmart and nobody would go to Nordstrom's or, you know, any fancier store. (laughs) So, you know, the colleges that, um, they can't be a commodity based thing anymore. They have to be able to show, and this is where you guys are so valuable is to dig in on that data and find out what their sweet spot is, find out Mm -hmm. what makes them different than everybody else, and then hone in and market that market the hell out of that message, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a parent and you mm-hmm. can afford it, would you not pay $75,000 a year to send your student, your, your child to a school where it's safe, they're getting a great education, they have all of that, right? Especially if they're like a pre-med student, you can't go to labs, like how does that work? Like how, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they, colleges just need you two ladies right now and the rest of your team. So <laughs> I, I mean, they really, really do. I mean, if, you know, again, from a marketing perspective, I always push back at my clients. Like, you have to show me the data. Like, what have you done in the past? What's working? If you're not looking at the metrics, like, you, you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And so I think colleges are going to be in the same space right now. If they do not hire people like you to analyze their data and take that lifting off, they're throwing spaghetti at the wall. Mm-hmm. So colleges out there, if you're listening, mm-hmm. call these two ladies, you know, really, <laughs> really dig into that. So, I mean, now it's time to kind of pitch your, pitch your company to the world. Like, how can people find you, Ashley? Are you taking mm-hmm. on new clients right now? What's your sweet spot? Who do you want to work with? Where are you going to bring the biggest value? All that kind of good stuff. 
Yeah, so we're at sightlinedata.com. Uh, that's where you, you can find us, uh, or you can find uh, us on LinkedIn, yeah. Ashley Kern and and Aaron Thompson. We're very active on, on LinkedIn and, you know, trying to share information and, and learn as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Right now, we really, really want to help universities as they are, they're basically getting us the census data for fall 2020. Mm-hmm. So they're now understanding which students um, are enrolling or re-enrolling, so we can really help them understand, okay, how did this pandemic change enrollment factors or retention factors at your school? If this pandemic continues, which, you know, who knows at this point, um, how can we use that information to create a, a plan for 2021 or even just this spring, honestly? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's a really big focus for us right now. Um, Back to the to the pricing report, I think it's so important for universities to really learn and understand what is the value of your school and the degree um, that you're that you're putting out. Um, a, a component of that will be we're going to be pulling data on looking at basically Google searches and how that's changed, uh, like the rate of searches that you're getting and how that's changed in the era of of coronavirus. Um, is your rate of searches going up or down over the past year? And how does that compare to your your competitors? So you might have an advantage and you might have some work to do, uh, but that's something that's important to learn. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I think, I think bottom line, let us do the heavy lifting for you. You have the data, we're the data experts and let us mm-hmm. do the heavy lifting for you when you're in this crisis mode um, that will ultimately help your students uh, succeed. And that's our, that's our mission is we, we want students want to help students succeed. We want to empower universities to use that data that they have sitting in their databases. Um, you know, there's so much in there that we can just dig in and, and it ultimately helps your students succeed, which in mm-hmm. turn helps the institution succeed and become stronger. What does an engagement with Sightline Data look like? Like how long do you work mm-hmm. with um, the university? Mm-hmm. Who are the key people that you work with there? Is it enrollment people? Like tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it depends on the product that we're working with. So if it's like an enrollment, um, if if we're working on an enrollment uh, implementation, we would work with enrollment managers. Uh, it it really we can move really quickly with in a matter of a couple of weeks, we can get the data analysis done. Um, we work closely with the people at the institution. So when I'm working on a retention uh, project, usually it's with student success people or, or you know, dean of students or something like that. Um, we really dig in to see what are their resources? What, um, what is their a budget? Um, who, who are the people that can do the work? Because we're certainly not going to recommend strategies that are unattainable to the institution. You know, that's, we can recommend strategies that are very, very complex, but they're not going to get done if they, if the school doesn't have the resources or the people to implement them. So we really kind of do a deep dive and work closely um, to partner with whoever we're working with to make sure that we're recommending um, the correct and applicable strategies, um, you know, based on the data. Um, so for our financial aid or budgeting products, we would work with, you know, financial aid people or like CFOs and stuff like that. So I think it depends on what we're, who we're, what, what product we're working on, but um, we are, 
agile and we 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 work with uh, a lot of different people across institutions and some of our smaller institutions you know you wear many hats so um you someone could be in charge of financial aid and enrollment and retention so um it all kind of all depends now you guys are nationwide correct you can go anywhere uh, yes absolutely mm -hmm. and do you have to be on campus to do this or are you able to do what you do remotely we are we can be fully remote so of course we would love to visit these beautiful campuses yeah. for our clients but um you know that is uh, not necessary at all we can do everything over uh video conference and just the phone and email um so we're we're really agile that way and that we're and then it also helps keep our costs down as well so we're not doing all these extensive travel traveling and everything so uh we can really contain our costs that way and uh that's the pandemic has not hit us um we didn't have a physical location so that's that's a good thing of being a remote company that you know we we just stayed put in our home offices and we didn't have uh, we weren't <laughs> impacted by that <laughs> amen yeah i mean i think that that's the one good thing that's come out of the pandemic a lot of people are realizing that they don't need a brick and mortar and that they can reduce mm -hmm. costs back to their clients. I mean, Red Barn's been remote forever now, so um, mm -hmm. I totally get that. So the best way to get in touch with you ladies would be to go to your website and fill out a form or should they email you? What's the best mm -hmm. route? Yeah, you can go to our website. There's a lot of information on there on our different products and about us and everything. Um, you can also email info at sitelinedata.com. Um, you connect connect with Ashley or I over uh, LinkedIn. We're very active on there. So um, any, any way that's most comfortable for you, our, our phone number and our email is also on our web, website in case you forget it. Well, ladies, as always, wealth of information. I'm just boggled at to how your brain works. And you know, I really do believe that schools need you guys right now and your team and really to understand that data because there's just so many unknowns. And if and again, if they don't pivot the right way, it's just, it's not going to work for them. So um, mm -hmm. best of luck. I hope that colleges just swoop you up and that you're busier and you can <laughs> expand your company. Because I think when I first met Ashley, you were, you were all by yourself when I first met you, correct? I was on my, all in my lonesome. I had yeah. a, a few uh, consultants, contractors I was working with, um, but we're growing and, and you know, we're here to, to stay and, and support universities. So, I mean, I was so excited to, to bring Aaron on. So I had somebody to, uh, to spitball with every day. <laughs> oh, I know. That's like my gen here at Red Barn. It's a game changer when you can have your number two and you, you love working with them. And it's, it just makes life yeah. so much more fun. Well, ladies, thanks again for yes. joining me. Uh, once again, it's Cindy Donaldson uh, for another episode of Entrepreneur Masters. You can Find me at redbarnconsultingllc.com. You can find these two brilliant women at sightlinedata.com. And um, have an awesome day, everybody. Thank you so much, Cindy. We Thanks, appreciate Cindy. it. You're welcome.